After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving and honour and power and might, be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more, and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. After this I looked starts the first reading for today from the book of Revelation. After this. But after what? What's been happening before the passage we heard? The answer is a great deal of suffering and destruction, which the writer of this strange book has seen in a vision. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're known, have ridden out across the earth, symbols of conquest, war, famine and plague. He sees earthquakes, darkness, persecution and terror in their wake. Last week the Archdeacon came to preach for Bible Sunday and jokingly wondered whether this book, the last in the Bible, might have been written under the influence of hard drugs. Read it and you get her point. 
It's full of weird imagery. It's sometimes frightening, always mysterious, and it's easy to see why it's often become fuel for conspiracy theorists, looking for signs that the world's about to end. But if we put it in context, I think it becomes much easier to see its underlying message, and perhaps it's not so weird after all. It was written by an early Christian leader who'd been exiled to the dry, dusty island of Patmos during a wave of persecution by the Romans. The communities he'd led in what is now Turkey were just over the horizon, across the Aegean Sea, but they might as well have been a universe away, because he knew he couldn't get back to them. He knew, too, that they were going through tough times, seeing their friends and families imprisoned and sometimes martyred for their faith, on top of all the other challenges and dangers of, a hu of human life in an era when existence was often precarious. When the author of the Book of Revelation looked at the world around him, the reality of, was one of pain, fear, hopelessness and what looked like inevitable failure. How could this little movement survive against the oppressive might of Rome? But as today's reading reminded us, that vision of destruction and death was only the first glimpse, not the whole picture. After this, I looked. And when he looked, he saw not despair, but hope. Not defeat, but triumph. Not war, but peace. This brave, faithful leader opens up the possibility for himself and those he writes to that what they see, the suffering that looms so large, is not all there is to see. Rome may seem omnipotent, all-conquering. The world may seem to be full of hatred and despair, but beyond, beneath, above, within it, are other realities which change the picture completely. The forces of good, the forces of God, are stronger than the forces of evil, he says. Instead of just seeing the tiny struggling groups of Christians in the churches he's left behind, who seem to be heading for ob oblivion, he sees a great multitude that no one could count in the heavenly realms, people from all tribes and peoples and languages. He and his congregations are part of something far bigger than themselves, and the lives of those who've died for their faith have not been a waste or a failure. He sees and tells the truth about them, reframing their lives and deaths as places which have been hallowed by the presence of God, not despite the squalor and brutality of their deaths, but right in the midst of that squalor and brutality. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, he says, and we scratch our heads and privately decide it must be nonsense because washing something in blood is not going to make it white. But the upside-down, nonsensicality of it all is precisely the point. As Jesus puts it in the famous list of sayings which we call the Beatitudes, which we heard in the Gospel today, God is at work in the littleness and the loss which we often despise or look down on, or desperately try to avoid and deny. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, who take a risk in making space for others. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, who don't hustle and scheme for their own advantage. Blessed are the peacemakers, who don't want to win at all costs. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, as Jesus was on the cross. The blessing God gives isn't a sort of heavenly consolation prize, but something that's born in the darkness, that's integral to it. It doesn't feel blessed to be in these situations. It feels frightening, exhausting, humiliating. But these are the places where we learn to lean on God and one another, to ask for help and to receive it, to discover that we are loved by God for who we are, not for what we achieve. This pandemic is not a blessing. It's a dreadful, wearing, wearying, frightening experience. But within it, many people have found blessing and created blessing for one another, drawing closer to one another and to God. In this church and village community, I've been moved by the way in which people, without any grand plan, quickly swung into action to help one another in practical ways back in the spring. The way people took time and care to keep in touch with one another, to support one another through the challenges and griefs of this time. I know we're not perfect, and no one has a magic wand, least of all me, that can make this time easy. But I've rejoiced in the discovery of countless holy places and holy moments, when people have quietly given and received love, acted with kindness and generosity, found ways of connecting with each other, tried to make sure no one was excluded. People often say when they're thanked or recognised, oh, it was nothing. But it wasn't. It was something. It is something. And I think it's a far bigger something than we often realise. It's easy, as the author of the book of Revelation found, to feel overwhelmed by the suffering around us, the scale of the challenges, especially as this pandemic and its wider effects grinds on. But like him... We can get glimpses of glory, if we look for them, which remind us that there's another reality which is bigger than we can imagine. Those tiny acts of kindness can open the way to new life and new hope if we'll let them. Today is All Saints Day. It's the day on which we particularly remember those saints whose names have been forgotten or were never known in the first place the people who gave their help or made their sacrifices without notice or thanks. Their lives may seem to have been insignificant or even wasted, but they opened up holy spaces in the world, windows through which others could glimpse heaven amidst the mess and muck of earthly life. It's a day, too, to remember that saints still walk among us and that each of us is called to be one of them. After this, I looked. Whatever the this is for us, whatever challenges and sadness we see around us, let's ask for the grace to look and to look again, to look with the eyes of God so that we can see his light in every place, every person, every moment. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. 
Grant us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those inexpressible joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.